What's up everybody? This is Pastor James and welcome back to the Midweek Bible Study. Today we will cover the last half of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now we're continuing on in the passage on how Paul is defending his title as an apostle um, with these people as he continues to address his rights as an apostle that he has given up. Uh, we're also looking back to our rights and freedoms as Christians that we may have but give up so that we do not cause others to stumble and so this is kind of a it's a little bit of a long passage and uh paul is really uh he's pressing in on the attitude of the people from the church in corinth in a couple different ways so let's read this together and then we'll talk and uh, move on to our bible study so first corinthians chapter 9 verses 13 through 27 and that's the last half of the chapter it says, don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Yet, I have never used any of these rites, and I am not writing this to suggest that I want to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. Yet... Preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment, but I have no choice, for God has given me the sacred trust. What then is my pay? Is it the opportunity to preach the good news without charging anyone? That's why I never demand my rights when I preach the good news. <clears throat> Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles why, who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone who do doing everything I can save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Okay, so if you remember last week when we finished up with verse 12, Paul said that he would rather put up with anything than be an obstacle to the good news about Jesus Christ. So he is willing to give up his right as an apostle, but he continues on in verse 13 talking about the rights of those that serve the Lord. And he uses the example of the people that work in the temple. Um, and they also get their food from the offerings in the temple. Now, a couple of things I want to draw back to this is that... Um, uh, number one, this is a reference to the Jewish temple and not just uh, a temple of idols. This is definitely a reference to the Jewish temple. And it's indicating that there's probably a large population of Jewish believers in the church in Corinth. Now, we've talked about that earlier. 
Paul makes several references throughout this letter that would indicate there are a large number of Jewish believers there. And this is just another one of those references. Now, verse 14 claims that the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. So Paul is still talking about this idea that anyone who preaches the gospel, who is serving the Lord and spreading the good news about Jesus Christ, should be supported. And it's interesting that in verse 14, Paul says that the Lord ordered this because there actually isn't a direct verse in any of the gospels that records Jesus saying that. However, if you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus sends out the disciples for the first time, he tells the disciples not to take any money, don't take a bag, don't take anything extra, no extra clothes, no sandals, don't even take a walking stick. Uh, they weren't supposed to take anything with them. Instead, they were supposed to receive and accept the hospitality of those that they ministered to because those who work deserve to be fed. And so most scholars believe that Paul is pulling from that passage um, because if they're going out on behalf of Christ, they, they should be going out under the same precepts as Matthew chapter 10. And we also see the same teaching by Christ in Luke chapter 10. You see that same concept that those who work deserve to eat. And preaching the message of the gospel is work. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people do to make a living. Uh, some things are more physically laborious than others. Some things are more emotionally laborious than others. And some things are more men mentally laborious than others. And so, um, you know, people may not perceive preaching the message of the gospel as a hard job. Uh, but in many ways, mentally and emotionally, it's much more exhausting than a physical labor job. Uh, and so you see that. And I do, you know, I'm fortunate enough, I, I really, really enjoy doing physical labor. And um, physical labor sometimes is a break for me to get away from doing ministry because it is so emotionally and mentally draining. Um, and so for me to go out and do physical labor, that is a joy. Now, it's funny because a lot of times if I spend several days doing some very physical, strenuous uh, work, uh, a lot of times I will like to go back inside and then do something mental, like work on the computer a little bit, uh, pick up with some receipts, do some financial stuff, you know, just things like that that helps like relax my body, give me a break from the physical labor, which uh, helps exercise my mind. So they both can be very, all three of those, physical, mental, and emotional jobs can be very taxing. But people who work deserve to get paid. And that's something that Paul is talking about here. And, and Jesus advocated that as he sent the disciples out in Matthew chapter 10. Now, here's the hairy part that I want to talk about um, in this passage. Now, Paul refused the rights of his, as an apostle, and, and he's talking about that once again in verse 15. And the reason why this is hairy, because some scholars believe that the Corinthians may not have respected Paul as an apostle because he didn't claim those rights. And so it's kind of like they could have had the attitude that said, well, if you don't feel like you should claim those rights, then maybe you aren't worthy of those rights. And maybe you are not an apostle. And so some scholars believe that that could be the case. But, but Paul is saying, 
in this passage that he is more worthy of being an apostle because he has not received anything from this church and these people, and he's only preached the message of the gospel with the purest of motives. And while that's great, and I commend him for doing that, a lot of times I have the I have the opportunity to talk with a lot of um, a lot of other people in ministry, a lot of young people coming up in ministry, and there's always this there's always this struggle. Okay, there's always this battle. Um, most people who are going into the ministry um, start out genuinely just wanting to serve the Lord, and so it always feels very dirty when you have to have conversations of how much you should get paid or how much do you charge to come and speak in an event or how much do you charge to do a wedding or things like that. And it's kind of one of those things that even for me, um, a lot of times it, it, it is hard to talk about that because there's no set standard. And for some people, you could say, oh, well, I charge $100. And they would say, oh, wow, that's really cheap. And for if you told another person $100 to come and do this, then they would say, oh, wow, you charge that much. And so for some people, $100 is a lot of money. For other people, $100 is nothing, and they're very willing to pay it. So having the financial talk is always very difficult, but I always advise younger people coming into ministry who are doing this to always kind of communicate and just have those hard financial conversations because um, doing this for free sets an expectation that you're always going to do it for free. And while in the beginning you might be willing to do it for free, over the long run, you know, as stuff becomes, you know, you can do anything. I mean, if you, it doesn't matter what you love. It could be your favorite hobby in the world, but if you've got to go and you've got to do it every day, Everything quickly becomes a job if you have to do it every day, and that's how you're making your living. Even uh, I had a, a friend, Brandon Henderson, who played professional baseball, one of the greatest loves of his life, and most of us would have loved and dreamed to have played professional baseball. But as he's getting paid, and that's his job, and he's got to go do it every day, he said it very quickly becomes a job. And so it's very important that you just kind of set the standard from the beginning that that it is worth getting paid for because I have been involved in ministries in the past where I have not been compensated well or compensated at all for doing things because people just expect you to do it for free because, well, you're a pastor, you should do this for free. And in reality, it's like, yes, I am a pastor. No, I don't mind doing it for free sometimes, but this is also the way that I earn my living, and this is taking time away from my wife and my children. And, and you know, like I have things that I would like to be doing, and so I'm doing extra right now uh, to be with you and to minister to you and your family or do this in this way. And so it's always hard to have those financial conversations and, and talk about what your rights are as a minister of the Lord. And so, or, or as a servant of the Lord, not just a minister, as an apostle. And this is the same conversation that Paul's having. The reason why this is hairy is because I've come in on the tail end of ministries where people have been doing it for free, and then no one else is willing to do it for free. And so we just went through this with our children's pastor. Our former children's minister was doing this for free for a long time, and it just, it came time that we needed to get a new children's minister and 
our church was surprised that no one else wanted to do it for free. Well, you set that standard that one person might be willing to do it for free, but other people may expect to be compensated. And so Paul is kind of in this conundrum at this church in Corinth where they are giving respect to the people who are receiving their rights as an apostle, but Paul is the only one, he's the only apostle who's not receiving financial compensation or his apostle rights, and he's the only one being questioned as an apostle. And so that, that's a unique thing, and I think if you're listening to this today, um, I, I don't know how many, we, we always have a lot of downloads on our podcast, so I don't know if there's any religious uh any pastors or anybody, you know, young people in ministry who are listening to this, but always have that conversation. And if you're a, uh, you know, just a church member, if you're somebody who attends church, um, always be mindful of the fact that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there is, there are many passages of scripture that call the church and the people of the church, uh, the people of God to support the, the men and women who are in service to the Lord. And I'm not saying that as an advocation for myself. I'm just saying that because it's the right thing to do, and it's hard. And you, a lot of times uh, pastors get put in a hard position. And I know many pastors who have left the ministry because they did not earn enough money to support their family, so they get a job outside, and eventually it's just too hard to work a job and do ministry, so they just end up working a regular job and getting out of the ministry. So um, typically the healthiest churches and the healthiest pastors I know are the ones who are very well supported by their churches. Um, and when I say very well supported, that's not just financially supported. That's emotional. Um, that is just being present in their life, loving on them, their wife, their family, um, just making sure that they're taken care of in all facets of life. So I encourage that today. And, and right here, I just think it's interesting because Paul is denying himself these rights, but yet he's the only apostle being questioned. And by no means am I saying that Paul is wrong by doing this. You know, I commend him that he is able to do this because it's a great thing. I mean, it's very evident that he is preaching the message of the gospel with the purest of heart. He's not doing it to gain anything, but rather he's doing this because he knows that that's what God has called him to do. So I think, uh, you know, as we talk about this today, um, and if you're just someone who's in your church or you're at Graham or you're, you're at some other church and you just happen to be listening to this, just know there's a healthy medium. I don't think that we should pay pastors ridiculous amounts of money so that they feel taken care of. I think that um, there's a happy medium somewhere. There, there's a good amount of pay that a church can afford and that the pastor should receive. Um, and I think that, um, in my personal opinion, there's a lot of things that you can give a pastor other than money that would go a lot further than money will. So you could pay them a million dollars, but if you're mean to them, a million dollars is not going to be worth it. But if you're loving and kind and take care of their family and take care of their children, and um, if, if you constantly communicate how much you appreciate them and you are communicating how much they are uh, really blessing you and, and the impact that they're having in the name of Jesus in your life and in your family's life, that goes a long way too. So find that happy medium. Um, Paul in this moment is really doing this uh, out of the goodness of his heart and trying to do this. 
Um, but it, it's it, that decision has also seemed to have caused a little bit of problems for him. Now, kind of moving on in this passage, um, Paul says that he would rather die than to lose his right to boast about preaching without charge. And so that's kind of a, an interesting statement, too, that Paul Paul loves boasting about this. Um, and, you know, a lot of times when Paul writes, it sounds like Paul is being prideful or conceited in his writings. And so if you just was, if you were to read that one verse, well, that would sound like a very prideful thing. But I always encourage people to, you have to look at the entire chapter or passage or even maybe two or three chapters um, that Paul is writing surrounding that one verse to really understand the heart behind what he's saying because he is boasting about preaching without charge. I mean, he's talking about it a lot, but he's talking about it because he wants to be viewed as an apostle in the eyes of these people. But he doesn't want to be viewed as an apostle so that he can gain something from them. He wants to be viewed as an apostle so he can continue to minister to them. He really does have the purest of intentions. Um, and by no means is he advocating for supporting this letter. He continues to deny it. He says, look, I'd rather die than have you support me. So I'm not saying all this stuff because I want you to give me things or support me or feed me. I'm saying all this because... I want you to allow me to minister to you. Allow me to continue to preach the good news. And that's all that Paul is saying. He simply wants to continue on in his ministry. But there's still conflict. Many of the believers are questioning his apostleship. And uh, and so you just kind of think sometimes it might would have been better off if Paul would have went ahead and received the the rights as an apostle so that the questions wouldn't be there and 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 i can say that a little bit from personal experience that um you know as as i've worked with people in ministry in the past who have very genuine hearts who, who really do love the lord and wanted to serve him and they would do a lot of things for free and they would um help out in a lot of ways and deny compensation and, you know, as a result, they kind of created a culture of people expecting that the next person coming along would do it for free. And that's just not everybody's calling. Everybody's different. Everybody needs different things. So I just think that's kind of an interesting, unique part of this passage. So the cool thing is, is that Paul does go on to say that he could uh, never brag about preaching the good news, that he is compelled by God to do it. And it would be terrible for him that if he didn't do it. And I can really identify with that. Um, I tell people this all the time. You've probably heard me say this if you've listened to Bible studies and sermons on, on here. But uh, I, I really never wanted to go into the ministry. There was never a time that I was like, oh, yes, I absolutely want to do this. I mean, it was... Going into the ministry initially was a very reluctant thing. I did it, and I thought I'd do it for a few years. I remember being on the concrete floor at the Charlotte Convention in 2003 and feeling called into the ministry and really kind of committing my life to ministry. And at the same time, I struggled with finishing up my undergrad and teaching and coaching and then having to... In 2008, finally having to make a decision as to which direction I was finally going to go. 
Um, after I taught and coached my first year, then I had to decide which one I was going to give up. Um, then after I finally decided I was going to go into ministry, I fought really hard and, and did not want to be ordained. I have no idea why. I just did not want to be ordained. And so I struggled with that a lot. Ministry is just one of those things I've never really wanted to be in. But I've said it time and time again that the greatest sin I feel like I could commit in my life is to be out of ministry. Um, I, I just feel like that's the greatest sin I could commit. Not because I feel like I'm great at it. You know, a lot of times I don't feel like I'm that great at ministry. I, I don't feel like I do everything the right way or the way that people expect it to be done or would like for it to be done. But I do feel like it's exactly what God wants me to do. And the greatest sin that I could commit is not be a minister of the gospel uh, and, and to be a leader in the church. And so Paul talks about that. And, and I can identify with that greatly. It's very uh, unique when you can feel like you can identify with someone in Scripture. So uh, Paul is 100% sure of what he's supposed to be doing. And uh, that gives him a lot of courage and... Uh, I want to say relentlessness to uh, resilience to make sure that he is continuing on in this despite the obstacles and the suffering and the um, you know the questioning from people who may not be supporting him like he would like for them to. Um, and so God has called him and he knows that. Now in verse 17, Paul continues to talk about how if uh, he was doing this because he wanted to, then he would deserve payment. So, you know, if you wanted to do this, if you wanted to, to work and do something, then obviously you would want payment for it. But Paul is called by God to do it, and therefore uh, the choice isn't his, and God gave him, and he calls it in the NLT, it's referred to as the sacred trust. This amazing, beautiful, sacred thing that God has given him to do, and therefore um, he does not consider the fact that he needs payment, that his payment for him to be able to do it is enough because it's so special, it's so great, and it's so amazing that that's payment enough for him. So, uh, therefore, he forgoes his rights as an apostle, and he focuses only on ministry, not costing anyone anything. Now, in verse 19, Paul goes back to this whole thing about freedom. Now, he's a free man with no master, but yet he is a slave to all people. And Paul refuses to use his freedom for selfishness. And this is a concept that a lot of Christians really need to grasp. We have a lot of freedoms in Christ, but we should not be using our freedoms for selfishness, selfish gains, selfish pleasures, indulging in things. That's not what freedom in Christ is for. Rather, the freedom in Christ that Paul uses, um, he actually enslaves himself back to other people and he does this not to put himself in bondage with no control over his life, but rather he does it with an absolute intention to win people to Jesus. So Paul uses his freedom to become a slave once again. And he does it to be a slave to people so that he can win them to Christ. And the verses that follow are some of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because this is exactly why Paul is the greatest missionary to ever walk the face of the earth. Now, when he's with the Jews, he behaves and lives like the Jews. And when he's with those who live under the law, he lives under the law. And he plainly says he's not bound by this, but he does it to simply win people to Jesus. 
When he's with the Gentiles, he lives apart from the law. He doesn't ignore the law, but he obeys the laws of Christ, which is the true heart of the law of Moses, so that he can win people to Jesus. When he's with the weak, he is weak. Now, he's not talking about physically weak, mentally weak, emotionally weak. He's talking about spiritually weak. When he's with spiritually immature people, okay, when he's with the weak in, in, in that understanding, he becomes weak. And so he can purposefully minister to those people. Now, um, he tries to find common ground with everyone and does everything so that he can save as many people as he possibly can. Everything he does is done to spread the good news and share its blessings with the people he's with. Now, Paul closes out this chapter by reminding the church in Corinth that they too have the same calling on their life. We as Christians are all called to be witnesses and ministers of the gospel. We may not all be apostles, but we are all called. Paul uses the analogy of athletics and a race, and it's a great analogy. And he says we all run to win, but there's only one winner. Only one gets the prize, and we should run our race to be the winner and receive the prize. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to outdo our brothers and sisters in Christ. It simply means that we run to the best of our ability. And a race is really one of the best examples or analogies that you could pick because when you run a race, like you're obviously competing against other people, but there's no physical contact. There's no strife between you and other opponents. You are simply running against yourself. Um, you you train, you condition, you diet, you, you do all these things. You make sure you're hydrated. And then if you do all these things, basically you should be capable of winning if you have the talents and abilities to be able to do it. And in a race, the only person that can hinder you from winning is you. So you have to run to win. And so we don't compete against other Christians. And that's really important. And that's one of the things that uh, we have to remind ourselves, and I remind our staff here at Graham Chapel, we at Graham Chapel, we're not competing with other churches. We don't try to win people from other churches. In fact, if I talk from people with people from other churches, they say, hey, we might come to visit you one day or something like that. I'll say, well, we would be happy to have you visit, but I would rather you be faithful to the body that you're at and for you to stay there and be a contributing member of that body where you are. Uh, our goal is not to win people from other churches. Our goal is to win people who don't go to church at all. When you look at what Jesus Christ has called us to do, we're all on the same team. So it's not a competition. And so even for our staff, if our children's pastor uh, does a great job and is killing it, and for right now the youth ministry is, is struggling um, you know, it's not one of those things like, oh, well, the children's minister is doing great. Pastor Timmy, why are you stinking it up? That's not the case. Like, in reality, we are celebrating because children's ministry is killing it and kids are getting saved and we're growing and things like that. And we pray and we help build up Pastor Timmy and we help build up youth. And I use that as an analogy because right now our youth group is actually doing really well. And Pastor Timmy is doing a phenomenal job. But I, I just use it as an example to say we're not competing against one another. We're here to support one another. We run the race to win. So our children's pastor and all of our volunteers should do their very best to make sure that that ministry is 
honoring God to the best of their abilities. Same thing in youth ministry, same thing in adult ministries. In everything that we do, we all run the way race in order to win. We do it in a way to honor and glorify God. And so Paul talks about um, this race. And so something interesting that I think is really cool, I just want to share with you, is that in Paul's day, um, when you start talking about these athletes that are competing, um, these athletes were disciplined, as, as disciplined if not more disciplined than a lot of our athletes today. Um, and if the athletes who are running the race should be disciplined, that means that we as Christians should be disciplined. And, and all athletes are training, and we should be training. And so the competitors in Paul's day, they dieted. They refused many things that would be fine for an average person so that they could do and be uh, in the best shape that they can possibly be in order to compete. And uh, in those days, those athletes had to train for 10 months before they were even allowed to enter the games. Paul was running with purpose. He had a purpose. And he wasn't just shadow boxing or punching there. And that's a really cool analogy because um, that's a very popular training tactic for boxers. It sounds really crazy. Um, and shadow boxing is literally just standing there and punching the air. And a lot of boxers will stand in front of a mirror and they'll sit there and they'll dance back and forth and punch the air and they'll do this uh, for for three minutes for or five minutes according to however long their rounds are. Um, they'll sit there and they'll box and, and do that with just the air. And that sounds crazy, but it's actually really difficult. We uh, One of my favorite Christian brothers in Christ is a uh, Jay Snyder. He he's a profession. He was a professional boxer. He's now in the boxing hall of fame. And uh, at his home, he has a gym and and he has a uh, boxing uh, gym that he that he had right behind his home. And so we would go over there and work out when we were younger, and uh, we would have a really good time. And, and we would set the the timer for for the rounds, and we would just shadow box. We would just box in the air, and it would be you would be amazed at how hard it is to sit there and just throw punches for three minutes. But Paul is saying that, look, you're not even shadow boxing. Like, it's a it's a form of training, and it's good for you, but you're not just punching aimlessly. Like, you're punching with purpose. And then Paul moves on, and he starts talking about he's disciplining his body like an athlete. And when you read some translations, other translations talk about uh, that same verse. Verse 27 is is beating your body into submission. And that's kind of like a violent thought. It's like, man, you're beating your body into submission. And, uh, you know, being in sports over the years, one of the things that I always told kids that one of the greatest realizations I had in middle school football, middle school football was so hard when I was coming through. Our coach was brutal. And it was the most revealing thing in my life at that time that I could do so much more. My body could do so much more than my mind thought it could. Like, man, we would have kids boo-hoo crying every day. People would just walk off and quit. I would boo-hoo cry every day. But it was amazing for me to realize that my body can do more than my mind thinks it can. Like, whenever I think I can't do this anymore, that my body could really go further than my mind thought it could. But Paul talks about beating your body into submission as an athlete does to make sure it, it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. But as a Christian, we should be doing that. We should be training ourselves and, and 
becoming masters over our body, becoming masters over our minds, becoming masters over our emotions and things, and not allowing ourselves to do things that we know we shouldn't be doing, and constantly making ourselves doing things that we know we should be doing. And it's a great analogy because if we can do that as athletes, if we can do that as people in other forms of work and habits, why can't we do that as Christians? And Paul is subjecting himself to suffering in order to making sure that he's doing what Christ has called him to do. And he does this because he's afraid that if he preaches to others, he might be disqualified. And and I think that's really important to think about today, that Paul is worried that he's going to preach to other people and be disqualified. And you say, oh, well, James, how in the world can you be disqualified if you preach the message of the gospel? Well, there's only two reasons you get disqualified in, in the sports world. Number one, you get disqualified because you do something wrong by accident. Or number two, it's because you do something wrong on purpose. And I'll give you two great examples. Uh, one of my best friends in the world, Jody Reynolds, he's the worship leader at a really large church in Charleston, South Carolina right now. When we were in high school, he was a phenomenal uh, hurdleist, And so he ran hurdles for our track team. And I think for like three years in high school, he was like the number one or number two hurdler in the state. And so his junior year of high school, he goes to the state championship for hurdles. And he's on the starting line. And right as they are shooting the gun to uh, to start the race, he comes off the block at like fractions of a second too quickly. And he's disqualified. And so he was like a shoe-in state champion that year. I mean, he was definitely going to win state. No one there was even close to running the times he had been running. And because he came off just a fraction of a second too early, you know, he just jumped a gun just a hair by accident. He was disqualified, and he didn't even place. Like he, he didn't even make second or third. He was disqualified totally. Um, or you know, you might have somebody who does stuff on purpose. And so, you know, when I was growing up in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, the steroid era of baseball. Um, and so you have all these athletes who are purposefully doing steroids to gain an edge to, to be better than their opponents. And, uh, you know, a lot of their careers and their records are disqualified. Like, they're just, they're not considered legitimate because of what they did. And so as a believer in Christ, you have to understand today that you can play the game. You can tell people about Jesus. You can go to church. You can do... You know, you can check your, your list off and do all those things, but if you're not living it out, you're not making sure that you're doing everything that you can do to be the best follower of Christ that you can be with the help of the Holy Spirit, you could be disqualified. And that's scary to think about because even Paul was worried about it. He was saying, look, I'm doing everything I can not to be disqualified. And uh, I think back so many times to that passage in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, look, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's terrible. There, there are people who are going to prophesy in the name of Jesus, people who heal people in the name of Jesus, people who cast demons out in the name of Jesus. There are going to be people who have done really cool things in the name of Jesus, 
And yet Jesus is going to look them in the eye and say, I don't know you. In fact, I never knew you. Like we don't have a relationship with each other. And so for us as believers in Jesus Christ today, we have to really make sure that we are one with Jesus Christ, that we know him, that we have a relationship with him, and that we are serving him, and that whenever we tell someone about Jesus or we preach the message of the gospel, we are not in danger of being disqualified. And so I just challenge you today to ask yourself that if that's you. Can you do that in confidence, knowing that you're doing everything you can to serve Jesus, or is there anything in your life that makes you worried that you might be disqualified? If there is, it needs to be addressed. Let's pray together. Father, we will just want to say we love you and thank you for this day. We pray that you would be with us. Help us to serve you. And Lord, help us do everything we can to make sure that we run our race to win that prize and to not be disqualified. We love you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in for another week. We love you. We're praying for you. As always, we'd love to see you on campus, but if not, catch us on Facebook, YouTube, or the podcast, and we hope to see you soon. Have a great week.